welcome to the Good Grief Podcast, where we make the uncomfortable comfortable. I am your host, Brittany, and today we have Jordan here with us. Hi. Hello. So me and Jordan have been friends for, has it been three years now? It has, yeah. Holy shit, it has. I know, that went really fast in so many ways and not in others. Yeah, because it, or has it been two years? I don't know. It's been a long time. <laughs> I think it's been, well, it was right before you lost Cam. Yeah, because it was literally like, it was crazy because me and Kara were just talking about this. I started talking to you guys like two days before Cam passed. Yeah. I remember like the whole thing. Well, we are here today to listen to your story. So whenever you're ready. Okay. So I am also a bereaved mother. Um, I lost, I should say we, <laughs> we lost our seven-month-old son in July of 2017 um, to SIDS. We had, he was our rainbow baby. He was born after two previous miscarriages and um, in secondary infertility. I conceived him with Clomid um, and progesterone. He was just the light of our lives. Um, we have, he was our second child. Um, we had at the time a three-year-old and they were the best of friends. They were just inseparable. And, um, that brother bond is always something else. (laughs) Yeah. It was so, so cool to watch. Um, I mean, they just idolized each other. The morning of his death, I had gone into, get him up and my three-year-old was following behind me and I didn't even think about that at the time but he um unfortunately saw everything but I found Sloan in his crib unresponsive and CPR was unsuccessful they were not able to revive him um and so they ended up um giving it was about 12 weeks before we had a cause of death but um ended up being SIDS and, um, my, my husband and I have very different family situations. Um, I'm very close to my family. He's not. <laughs> um, so my family was very much a part of everything, um, as we went through what needed to happen and, um, the grieving process and just all the ins and outs of losing a child and, Um, my parents were there that day. Um, his family did show up after, um, they did leave out of state. So of course they got there when they could. Um, but they did come that night. Um, and, uh, one of his siblings was there during everything because they lived in state. Um, but, uh, that being said, his family flew back home after about three days and, um, um, lives local. Okay. Local ish. And then another sibling and his parents, um, live out of state. So, um, his parents are who flew in, um, the other out of state sibling wasn't able to, but his parents had flown in, they were there for three days and then they flew home. Um, because my mother-in-law had a family, I mean, a friend get together 
to get to in Palm Springs. So while we were um, signing cremation papers in a funeral home, his mom was um, poolside with her friends. But yeah, that was really a tough pill to swallow for us, for sure. And, um, you know, the process that we had gone through we were going through um, in losing our son was really traumatic because with SIDS, it, it comes with a lot of extra um, steps, I guess you would say, um, in the process of after you obviously have to, you're, you, you are required by law, they have to do an autopsy. Um, anytime there's a death in the home um, in Washington state, you um, have to have a visit from a social worker to make sure that like everything is safe um, at home and uh, that it's a you know good environment. Um, of course, when a child dies in the home and um, that a child um, dies in home, um, I'm 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 assuming this is in pretty much every state, but I know in my state. They are required, obviously, to send the police um, because it's it's a death. So, um, you know, when when this all happened, we had detectives in our home, we had EMTs in our home. A lot of it is a major blur for me, um, just kind of like a trauma response, I guess, to only remember <laughs> certain pieces of it, and I've right. been told all the rest. You're in fight or flight mode. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would liken it to um, when you have a dream and it's very vivid and you want to explain it to somebody when you wake up, but you, you remember it in your head, but like you can't articulate it at all. Um, so that's kind of what that day is for me. Um, but yeah, so it was, it's just a very long drawn out process having had the death in home and um, we never did end up at a hospital just because they were not able to revive him at our home. So there was no chance of any medical intervention being successful. Um, and so all of this stayed within our home. Um, we, we had, thankfully, my parents there, my brother was there. Um, and so a lot of other people were there to help us, um, field a lot of the process of you know what happens next and what what to expect and um we kind of really were just able to focus on sloan and saying goodbye and then kind of in the days that followed is when you know everything really kicked in and hit us that like we have to make all these choices what what do yeah, we do with his really, body what right. you know what Ugh. what you know do we want a funeral do we not um how do we tell people Right, exactly. All those things. And it's almost like child loss, it comes with just this huge, like grief fog. And all of those things seem like huge tasks at the time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of um, surreal in a way, because each next step feels like you, you've never done this before, obviously. So yeah, we're never you taught know. how to deal with. Things yeah, like and I don't this think anybody ever. I don't think anybody goes into parenthood expecting to um, eventually decide what, you know, to do with your child after they die. 
Yeah, um, whether think, it's what their urn should look like. Yeah, exactly. You kind of, I think you just naturally, subconsciously assume like your child will outlive you. Um, so there were, a, there's a lot, you know, in, in child loss in general that you really don't know until it's happening, what's going to happen and, um, and what choices you're going to have to make and what feelings you're going to feel. And, um, and even still, I mean, it's been five years and I still think that it's that way. <laughs> there's still, you know, with each anniversary, there's still feelings and, ex- and experiences and decisions you make that you're just like, what, how am I here? Oh, absolutely. And that's so crazy because I always forget that Ella and Sloan are very close in age. <laughs> yeah. And because her fifth birthday just passed and I'm thinking to myself, like, my little girl should be starting kindergarten. And before I never thought of that and it never brought on that grief. And then like the other day, it literally just like smacked me in the side of the head. And I was like, yeah. oh, well, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, we still have those milestones. We still experience major life milestones with those children who died, but it's an entirely different way now. Like we're experiencing the, oh, they should have been walking by now oh, they should have, you know, been potty trained by now. Oh, they should be going to kindergarten. Oh, you know, we're forever going to be experiencing those milestones without them. Exactly. And, and I think that a lot of people don't realize that part of it all. They, you know, obviously I think people can assume there's what ifs, there's would have beens, but I don't think they, they realize like, imagine. Yeah. yeah, every day is a what if. Every single day is a should have been. Um, and, and, I, and it's like that f- until we're gone. So um, I think that in that process, especially in the early days of it, I definitely did not expect to have the reactions from other people in my life that I did. Um, I'm thankful uh, that my own family was so supportive, so understanding, continues to be. And, um, you know, a few friends as well. And of course, there are friends who I did not keep around <laughs> um, because of how they themselves dealt with my trauma and experience. Yeah. And and sadly, I feel like a lot of friends do. You do lose a lot of friends. Yeah. And I mean, I don't process. necessarily fault those people for not being able to field my crap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my trauma and my pain is not theirs. And while they can try their hardest to accommodate for it and understand it, like it's not, it's never going to be, um, what I'm experiencing, you know? And yeah. No, nobody can, yeah. they haven't been through it. They just can't comprehend it. And, 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 you know, the end of those friendships, like most of the people that I saw the end of a friendship with in this, this after, um, it wasn't a messy, you know, or painful ending. It was just kind of like a, you know, we, our time as a friendship has served itself and we have reached the point where, you know, we have to go different ways and that's fine. Like we have different understandings of life and different experiences and and that's fine. And um, I don't think I ever really harbored any negative feelings towards the end of those friendships or those people. Um, I did feel pretty negative feelings towards the end of our relationship with my husband's family 
as a result of Sloan's death. Um, and I think that was definitely not a situation I saw coming at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been... not a very expected situation. <laughs> no. And I mean, I guess you could say in some ways, yeah, it's not maybe that's shocking or surprising to people who've um, read about um, or heard me talk about the things that we did go through with them prior to our child dying. But I think that even, even knowing those things that happened before, um, still for me, it was shocking just, and, and I'm sure for my husband, just because like family, you're kind of societally forced to like accept no matter yeah. what. Mm -hmm. And you love them unconditionally. So I think that I didn't really see myself or my husband coming to the conclusion that like, okay, no, these are people that like are toxic to us and like to our grieving process and we can't continue to have a relationship with them. And it's I, almost mind blowing when you kind of come to that conclusion. Yeah. It's hard to wrap your head around like the fact that like your husband's parents could be so toxic like, yeah. or yeah. something that's so traumatizing for the entire family. I definitely, I definitely know that like there were times, I mean, we've been together for 11 years. And so um, that's a long time uh, um, and to, to be a part. Well, I don't know that I was ever part of the family, but to be a part of um, that dynamic. And um, while it wasn't really ever a healthy dynamic, um, you know, it kind of right from the start was pretty toxic. Um, and, and even, you know, his childhood, it doesn't, it's not just me coming into the picture in which things occurred. Um, yeah. But I think that I don't, I don't think I ever saw like their reaction to our trauma and their, or I guess their inaction to our trauma being an occurrence. Like I never thought that that's what we would we would experience with them um they were very unsupportive after that first year we and and that's not to say they were really that very that much supportive during that first year um they came up here twice uh the summer that sloan died and the first time like i said was for three days the second time was um about a month later and they, I think we saw them for like an hour or two during that visit. And then the rest of the time they were up here, they were with other family and friends. And, um, I just, I'm sorry. I cannot wrap my hand, my head around <laughs> that behavior. Like, you know, my situation with my mom and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy that you could treat your own child that way. I guess is how I look at it. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe I say it casually or describe it casually because I'm, I'm so not necessarily used to it at this point, but it's just not, it's not unexpected. Well, and I commend you because you don't ever see like how you're very like vocal about it on Instagram and you like, to me, you like set this stance, like it's okay to cut off toxic family members. Yeah. So I feel like it's becoming more of a thing, but I feel like for forever, I haven't seen really anybody do that. 
Uh, yeah. And I think that's probably why it did take me so long to get to a point where I could talk about it because, um, you know, like, like you just said, like, it's not, it's not a societal norm at all to, yeah. to cut off toxic family. I think people do it. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not the first one, certainly not the first person in the history of ever oh, yeah. to <laughs> cut contact with their family. But I do think it's something that is not talked about enough. And I think that it's something that is kind of even taboo to talk about because people have for so long, like pushed this, you know, there's this perception that just like family is unconditional and, you know, you love them no matter what. And, you know, oh, they're awful, but it's, it's your mom or, oh, they're yeah, or their blood. Their <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think because forgiveness itself is such a, it's just kind of universally like what people expect when there's any kind of strife in a relationship, they're like, oh, well, you have to forgive them. And um, without tying any form of religion to that, uh, just the idea of forgiveness itself, I feel like is in some instances a very toxic mindset because I don't think you have to forgive everybody who does you wrong. I don't. No. Um, I think that there are certainly instances in which someone doesn't ever deserve forgiveness and you shouldn't be expected to. And you can still heal from that trauma or experience or relationship without forgiving. Um, yeah. You can, it's almost like letting go and moving on, but you don't need to address. Right. What I don't, I don't have to excuse your misgivings in order for me to heal from the end of yes. our relationship. Especially and, when they are on the the mindset of they don't think they did anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, which is more often than not the situation. Yes. <laughs> um, I know with my in-laws, that was definitely the situation. There was no um, efforts made to improve behavior or... Um, anything like that it was just kind of like you know to 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 give background on on um where I'm going with that is my um my mother-in-law and one of his siblings basically from the beginning um were pretty judgy of me um the sibling more to my face but the mother-in-law behind my back um there was a lot being said that I had not even known um, now, obviously I do because about ooh, almost three years ago now, people, friends of the family, family members, um, started coming forward and telling us like, Hey, this is being said about you. And, uh, or this is being said about Sloan. And, um, and then it kind of turned into like f people telling us like, Oh, and they'd said all this all along. So that was a, that was a tough, um, Thing to find out but I also wasn't super surprised by it um I just can't believe like what if you don't mind me asking uh, what were some of the things like said about Salone and things that they were just saying about you so um my in-laws moved out of state when Sloan was about I want to I want to say he was like three months old or four months old um it wasn't it wasn't super soon um, after his birth, but it also wasn't right before he died. Um, but when they had lived here, um, they only really were around him a couple times, like a handful of times. Um, they lived down the street from us. <laughs> so, oh, <wow>. um, <laughs> yeah, unless we went there, they really never saw us um, or him. They 
there was always like excuses for why they wouldn't come to our house or, um, or you should just come here. And, um, and we just, you know, like that kind of was frustrating, but we dealt with it. But then, then when they moved out of state, um, then it got even messier. Like they were, um, expectant of us to like drop everything if they wanted to come up here, um, or to go visit them. And, you know, I was like, I have a pretty new baby. Like I'm not, getting on a plane and you know <laughs> your expectations are a little high <laughs> yeah and uh you know we have jobs and um and that was before he died but then when he died like I said you know they did they did show up that day and and that I guess could be commendable <laughs> I say that <laughs> with gritted teeth but um he, you know and I, I guess that was good of them um but then you know the good goes away when they leave three days later to go on a tropical vacation. So, um, there's a, there's two sides to everything, I guess, <laughs> um, a double-edged sword, I, I should say, but, um, and then, you know, yeah, they came up a month later and saw us for a couple hours, but there were things that occurred on both of those visits that kind of undid the good of them being there. Um, one of the visits, the second one, my, I had a friend staying with us out of, who was from out of state, um, two, two friends who were from out of state and they were there. Um, my parents were there and obviously we were, and everybody was, um, inside sitting around the kitchen table talking. I was out front with the two friends talking on the porch. Just, you know, I spent a lot of time outside, um, after he died. And, um, so I, did not myself see this occur, but the room full of people that were inside, which was both my parents, my, one of my other friends, um, Justin, one of his friends, um, all witnessed my mother-in-law ask as she was checking out of a online shop, um, whether her putting Sloan's name in the notes would make them send her free things. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, that might not make sense to a lot of people. His death was in the news. It was in magazine articles. It was online. It was everywhere. It went viral. Um, because I openly talked about what happened in his grief or in, yeah. in my grief. Um, so that's why she thought like, Oh, if I use his name, people will know I'm related to him and you know, I could get things. Um, and so, you know, everybody in the room at that time was just like, whoa, that's inappropriate. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I was told about that, you know, that night and I was pretty upset, but I kind of just let it go because I was like, you know, everybody processes things differently. Maybe she just grieves really weirdly or something. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there were other things that occurred, like we had, um, Justin didn't, we don't process grief the same way he and I, um, we're very different. I'm very vocal. I'm very open about it. I, I need to, um, talk about all of it. That's just how I process. And he is the opposite. And so he kind of internalized and, um, he missed a lot of work because he was just in like a deep, deep, deep depression. Obviously, that's pretty expected with child loss. Um, I yeah. myself had 
dealt with it. I was on medication for it. So was he, but, um, he kind of, um, went the route of beginning to feel suicidal and, um, he, he used extended leave from work, um, on, after a certain amount of time, it was unpaid and he applied for short-term disability. Like I said, he literally was dealing with suicidal ideation. Um, and it was worsened when he was at work and away from our surviving child and me. And, uh, he was, you know, just, he had a lot of heavy stuff going on and he would call his parents and, um, express all of this, just kind of looking for, not really for them to make it better, but just for them to be supportive through it. And that's not what he got. Um, his, I remember distinctly him getting off the phone one time with his dad and just, he just fell apart crying. And I, was like, you know, what happened? What's wrong? And he was just like, I told my dad that, you know, I was feeling suicidal. And he said, well, at some point you have to move on. And I think that was kind of a turning point for Justin. Yeah. I think that kind of really shook him. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, there was, you know, there's a lot of childhood um, baggage there. Uh, he, you know, he did grow up in a family that was very focused on sports and um, not emotions. <laughs> and, um, you know, was focused on you can, you, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to look this way. It was very much about appearances, about being the best at everything. Um, and, and not so much about developing the skills you would need to um feel things and and yeah, approach deal with such a traumatic yeah yeah and i i think that um that that played a large part in how he processed our son's death too mm-hmm. but um and so you know i think that he kind of was hoping in a way that by talking to his dad about that that maybe that would open up that that realm of communication and develop that relationship a little bit more and it just didn't it it didn't offer that for him and um and I think that was kind of like a a real big eye-opener for him like if this isn't you know if this can't make his family care enough what would yeah you know and so there was things like that um there was also a lot of not understanding our specific triggers, not, not, um, I don't want to say accommodating for them. Cause I don't think you ever appe- uh, expect people to accommodate for your grief necessarily, yeah. but I do think you, you kind of expect people to give you under- grace to. Understand. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and to understand it's there. And we just never saw that from them. And, uh, there were, there were a lot of times when like, you know, I would be, I would literally be standing outside the bathroom door to make sure Justin was actually going to the bathroom and not doing something drastic, you know? Yeah. Um, and if he was 
got home from work too late, I would just wait by the front door worried that like he drove the car into a ditch. So, um, and I didn't have, I had my family to go to about that. Thank gosh. But, um, I couldn't go, I couldn't go to his parents about it because the times in the past in which I had, I was dismissed and nothing, they never would never reach out to him or, you know, um, and at, at some point, I guess a friend of the family that is, you know, has always been in contact with Justin had told his mom that they were worried about him, um, that they were worried he was going to do something drastic. And his mom's response was, well, he wouldn't do that. He has kids. And she never contacted him. She never checked on him. She never brought it up nothing. And finding that out from that friend, Justin was just pretty devastated by that. Um, because I feel like, you know, as a parent, if you found out that your child was feeling that way, you would want to do everything in your power to help them. Yeah. Give them some type of guidance. Right. And, or, or even just show up in a manner of, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm here, but that, you know, he couldn't even get that. Or even, uh, I'm here if you need anything. Right. And, and, you know, of course there was that to some extent, like, you know, if you need us for anything, let us know. And I think that, um, I I don't want to erase like the few good things they did do. Um, I do give them the grace of acknowledging that there were good times, um, and there were good things, but overall there was a lot of inactiveness towards our grief and um and mostly just us feeling obligated because it was family and because of the times when they had helped us or had been there for us Mm -hmm. um and i think that's where a lot of people struggle with toxic family is not not being able to separate the good and the bad um and understanding that they're two separate things And that just because somebody can do good things doesn't mean that the bad things they did are erased. Exactly. Um, And so I think, I think it was a, it was about two years after Sloan died um, that he, we found out his mom had told people um, that Sloan's death seemed suspicious. Um. And even saying that now, like, it's been two years since I heard that, but saying that now, even like, just, I can't even explain how that makes me feel. Um, I lost a child, a living, breathing human being in which I had brought into the world. I lost my husband lost and their response instead of being supportive, instead of being there for us was to gossip about it and they're his family so that was yeah that was a very major thing to find out and um i feel like child loss really truly shows people's true colors it does oh 100 it does Mm -hmm. People can either make space for it and acknowledge it and understand it and be supportive, or they can be like my in-laws were about it. And it's almost like they mock it, like it's not yeah. severe as it 
really is. It makes them uncomfortable and their response to being uncomfortable is to either make, try to make it go away and doing things like saying, you just need to move on or, well, they're fine. They'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Or in talking badly about the situation or the, the maneuver. Yeah. Um, and I think that knowing his own mother could make that kind of judgment about him, about me, about us and about our child was just like really kind of an, uh, the final straw. Um, and he confronted them the next time that they were in town and face to face called it out. And of course it was denied. Of course I was blamed for him feeling the way he felt and for his depression. I always need somebody to blame. Right. And it was this big altercation. He, you know, was literally in front of them crying. I was not there. I chose to not ever be around them again at that point. I was just done. But I had told oh, so him. so you had already cut them off yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was done. And I had told him, you know, like, if you want to still have a relationship with your family, I'm, I'm fully supportive of that. You do what you need to do. You you handle it how you need to handle it. And if you want to have that relationship continue, that is fine. I will support you. But I myself will not continue my relationship with them. And um, I understood that that would make things uncomfortable for him, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody wants to be like, well, if I get invited to this event, my wife won't come. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and boundaries are uncomfortable in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I just was not willing to subject myself to being around people who, who made me feel bad about myself. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't want to be around people who made my husband feel the way they made him feel. And I didn't want to watch it. Um, so I had made that decision, but he, in confronting them was trying to make his decision. Yeah. And, um, Unfortunately, it did not go well and nothing was um, amended at all and there was no accountability and that was it for him. He decided that he was done. So that was, gosh, um, three years ago now, I think. And we have not had any contact since. Well, good for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it had to be tough, but in a way it's, I feel like it was just the best for you guys because grieving in the first place is hard and you need that support. Like, I feel like that in a way is why we have like you and I both have turned to Instagram. Like we have is because of that support system that, Mm -hmm you can build. And when you don't have that base of your family, I feel like it makes it almost like 10 times harder. Like, yeah. And, you know, like I said, I mean, my own family has been amazing. I cannot say enough good things about my family. And, um, and that even is separate from, from our loss. They've, they were good to begin with, you know, but, um, and, and my parents are just the salt of the earth and have done everything under the sun they could possibly do to be supportive and helpful and um, 
and accommodating and have grace for us through all of it. But it, you know, they aren't his, they aren't Justin's parents. They aren't his family. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I'm sure that there's parts of my husband that are very cognizant of that. You know, Um, he does, he calls my dad, dad, he calls my mom, mom. They, you know, they love him like one of their own children when he gets, you know, he just, when he gets something amazing happening in his life, they are happy for him. They cry with him when he's sad. Like they're just wonderful to him. And, um, but I know that, you know, deep down, he's just, he's got to be aware, like this is, they're not my parents. Yeah. Um, And so there's been a period of grieving that too, for both of us, I think, Um, obviously more him than, than me. Um, and so in, in losing our child, it didn't just mean we lost our child. Like you lose the parenting of that child. You, you lose relationships with other people who can't accept your grief and can't, um, can't journey with you through it. And unfortunately that was his family. And I think that that was probably the hardest part of it for, him was that, you know, not only was he going through this trauma, not only was he, you know, having to to deal with this unfathomable fathomable thing in life, but um, he couldn't even lean on his own family during it. Yeah, he, in the process of grieving his son, was also in the process of losing his family. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a hard process for sure. And I know that like him deconstructing from that major trauma in his life, aside from our son, um, from the trauma of, of cutting out family and, and well, like I said, it wasn't the healthiest, um, dynamic ever. It was, it was not, you know, it was all smoke and mirrors his whole childhood. And, um, and so he's, he's also deconstructing from that. He's, yeah, he, he's been over the last three years, unloading three, you know, 30 plus years of <laughs> um, conditioning. And so that was, that was something added to our specific grieving process and, um, and our loss that was definitely unexpected, but in the long run has been a positive um, because we were able to separate ourselves from that toxicity and be, and, and, and by doing so we're able to get stronger as a couple. And, um, and I think stronger even with my own family, which is saying something yeah. already such a, a strong unit, but, yeah. um, and I think that I think it also both a lot. Yeah. And I think it also teaches your children. They see that that you guys are setting those boundaries that you have that, or you're making that healthy dynamic for them. Yes. I mean, uh, my biggest thing in talking about my grief and trying to be a support system for others through theirs is, is understanding that grieving is very subjective. It's not linear. It's, it's an individual process. No, nobody's two experiences are the same, just so nobody's two reactions are going to be the same. Absolutely. Um, nobody's processing is going to be the same. You can have similarities, but ultimately like, because we're all individuals, so, so will be our feelings and our experiences. And, um, 
and and my I think my biggest thing in all of that is making sure other people understand that grieving is okay first of all i think a, a lot of people are taught that it's not um and grieving openly is okay just as grieving quietly is there's no yeah. right or wrong way unless you're hurting someone else Absolutely. there's not a right or wrong way and um that's my biggest thing is just making sure that other people understand that like it's okay to feel it's okay to talk about it and um and it, and it's okay to acknowledge these harder parts of life and that i think is probably the number one thing i've always wanted to instill in my children but also other people absolutely um if there was one piece of advice you could give to anybody going through a similar situation as yours with uh, losing a child, the grief process, and also just involving toxic in-laws. I just think like how to almost deal with that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that my biggest thing, the thing I've learned um, that has been the most formative for me through it all was that I do not need to apologize for how I choose to survive something. Um, especially my own something. Absolutely. And, and I think that's my, probably my number one thing to advise anyone on. Like, don't apologize for how you chose to survive when you, when you shouldn't have survived. Exactly. Well, I am glad that you were able to come on and tell your story today. I know it, I feel like it took us days and days and it yeah. was very difficult to get to this point. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover or let anybody know? I just like so appreciate even being asked by you to, um, first of all, be the first podcast, but just to have my experience and my um, thoughts and all of that even um, get to be talked about. <laughs> Absolutely. I just, well, and I just love your story and I love Sloan and you, obviously you've been a part of my support system for, like we said, like three years now. So <laughs> it just, it really means a lot that you were able to come on today. Um, where can everybody listening find you? Um, so Instagram, I am life of Peterson's Peterson's is spelled P E T E R S O N. I have, um, of course, TikTok. I have a website of all of that, but it's all linked on my Instagram. And then I'll link your Instagram when all of this goes live. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Thank you for all of this. I love you so much. Thank you for having me. I love me. you too. Okay. <laughs> Bye. I'll talk to you in a bit. <laughs>